Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D-H-A-R-M-A media.com. Welcome back, everyone, to this week's edition of Conversations with Z and Vin. And today we are talking about intelligence. Z, this is a topic that I find extremely interesting, mainly given my upbringing, the schools that I went to. I went to very elite private schools, a very well-known institution for, for college, for university. And the idea of intelligence in that domain is specific. So if you are trained to think a certain way, speak a certain language, look at the world with sufficient structure, and you can follow this paradigm that is put in front of you, then that correlates with being intelligent. And you've got people who come off of this treadmill or this factory, and then they end up taking jobs. So you can think about finance jobs, consulting jobs, there are entire industries, uh, law firms, that recruit from this factory of intelligent people who've been steeped in a certain type of thinking. And certainly there are very bright people who come out of these systems. So I'm not going to deny the benefits, but it is useful to think about some of the limitations of this form of intelligence. And maybe can we adopt a more broad, more practical definition of intelligence? If I think about my experience in school, one of the limitations of intelligence, the way it's been conventionally defined, is is very linear, and it's conditional on the system you're operating in. Uh, so can you follow the rules that have been set out in front of you? Uh, can you think a certain way? Can you communicate in that way? Well, what if the rules themselves are problematic? What if the entire framework that you're operating in is flawed? So I think about economics, for instance. We've had some of these discussions before. A lot of economic theory is based on ideas such as we always need more, and people are always better off the more that they have. So the rational person is going to try and get as much as they can from any situation and do whatever they can to maximize the amount of money that they can obtain for themselves. And based on that, entire theories follow about the economy, about corporations, about commerce. And that's fine. But what if the assumption itself is incorrect? What if this isn't sustainable? What if it doesn't account for real-world behavior, uh, for the fact that you've got an economy which is overseen by a government which is tied to people who have a lot of money? which means that the rich get richer and they do so at the expense of the people at the bottom of the pyramid. And a lot of these issues have come to light more recently. We've been talking about race as a society. We've been talking about social justice, systemic privilege. Uh, but you've had an economic doctrine in place for 100 years, which has ignored all of this. And a lot of intelligent people have formed the policy that governs our country and our economic laws, frameworks, with this idea in mind. Is that something that's intelligent? I don't know. It could be maybe in certain situations, others maybe not. 
uh, if we think about another way that people operate, you and I were talking about the caste system. And uh, we both saw this movie, White Tiger, recently, which shows the experience of a lower caste, uh, a lower caste Indian person who's working for a very, uh, very wealthy family and at some point just can't take it anymore because he is abused. He is forced to admit to a crime that he never committed. The family doesn't care about him at all. Yet the conditioning that he has is so strong and so powerful he feels like he doesn't have any other option. And he looks at himself, there's one part of himself which looks at what he's doing and says, this is insane. Why am I submitting to these people who are giving me nothing in exchange? But there's another part that can't help itself because this is all that he knows. Uh, so he just does whatever the conditioning tells him to do. So what would be intelligent in that situation? Can you step out of that conditioning and that mindset and really learn to discern what is real and what's in your best interest. Can you look at things from multiple perspectives? So I think if we broaden our definition of, uh, of intelligence, it starts to encompass things like fluidity, uh, because the same situation or the right decision at one point in time may be different from the right decision at another point in time. It has to do with things like perspective. You can look at the same situation from different perspectives. And depending on your history, your circumstances, you might come to different conclusions. Uh, being intelligent, as you put it, Z, it's the ability to take knowledge and apply it to your benefit. So can you use your discrimination ability to navigate the world more easily, uh, to have a more successful life, and to deal with people in different ways? Uh, depending on the type of person you're dealing with, you may treat a person who's a close friend in a different way than you would uh, someone who's a colleague or a stranger or someone who comes from a different community, your interactions might be very different because you recognize that they bring different experiences to the table. They process information differently. So these are some of the ways that we can think about broadening our definition of intelligence. And Z, maybe you can kick us off because uh, you talked uh, first and foremost about intelligence is the ability to discriminate and that comes from uh, Buddhism. Give us some sense for the word intelligence and how that applies uh, or what relationship that has to discrimination. Vin, this is a topic I think that anyone who listens to us, um, it would benefit them from taking notes. Um, when we think about intelligence from different, um, different cultures, it's a common theme is that the ability to gather information, to discriminate and discern that information, then apply the knowledge that you've acquired from that information that then affects your life in a sustainable way. And it affects all the layers of your life, both materially and existentially, insubstantially and substantially. So what do we mean by that is you travel the world and you meet people that you find to be smart people. And it may be in a narrow range of wisdom, but there's a common theme is that they are adaptable. They can listen. They can discern what they hear separated from what is useful. Take what is useful and then apply it and, and continue to move forward. 
oftentimes we think of intelligence based on a a, a limited scope or a set caliper of what is smart. There are different associations of people that share common interests and ideologies or views that create associations and they decide whether you can be associated with them based on certain achievements, accomplishments, or tasks. You have something called the FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration, right? That it doesn't apply outside of the United States unless you want to fly into the United States. You have associations such as the AMA, the associations of, of, of medical folks, right? But not everybody, not every doctor is a member of the AMA. There are also various degrees you can get from different institutions. So people will weigh a master's from Harvard different than a master's from MIT, different from a master's from uh, another place, Cal Berkeley or Stanford or your local university or your local community college or online learning. You'll hear people now saying, oh, they got their degree online. Well, why is that bad? Well, it's, it, it is good or bad determines, determines on personality now. It's like, who are you associated with? Who are the groups of people who validate you? Lawyers are a member of various associations or societies, so to say. The Federalist Society, the this and that society. So that group of people, that handful of people from a global perspective are deciding the level of intelligence you hold within the range in which they can relate to you. So that's not intelligence. That is validation. It's a lot of things, but it's not intelligence. <clears throat> or we find ourselves saying, well, if you're so smart, why did you do that? I know very smart people that can't change a tire. I don't know any intelligent people that can't do that. Remember, intelligence is to seek out information, discern, discriminate, and use that information. So we have different things we call intelligence, smart, witty, wealthy, attractive. They'll even say, oh, that, that's a smart looking woman. What does smart looking mean? What does smart look like? So for those into this kind of opt out philosophy that we share, we love to take a word and use it as it was presented, almost like you have a constitutional uh, people who are literal constitutionalists, right? They originalists, they call themselves. Well, we're original opt-out people. We're opt-outists, right? Original. So what we say is, what is intelligence? Can I seek out information, discern that information, and apply it to something in my life that makes my life better? And that is a fluid thing from moment to moment. There was a snowstorm going on in Texas, and the big fear is that people are dying in their home from smoke and carbon monoxide. So there are different people saying, no, 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 don't light fires in your house. Don't burn your furniture to stay warm. You will die from poison gas. Well, a lot of smart people don't know how to warm their house or stay healthy in cold weather. But a lot of people that we would normally call simple-minded or dullards figured out, how about I heat up rocks 
heat up rocks or heat up water and bring it in the house and let the heat that's in there slowly disperse to warm the house and there's less chance of me dying in the cold. Wow, that's really intelligent. But that's not a smart person. It's an intelligent person. So in Buddhism, the whole concept of Buddhism is one who can discern and discriminate. Why is that so important in a, a spiritual practice? Well, why isn't it important? Why wouldn't it be important? If you look now and you look at the tenets, I think we talked about this, what are the tenets of different religions? If you go out and you take, a, take five minutes to read, what are the tenets of Buddhism, Judaism, Christianity, Islam? You'd be shocked, literally shocked, at what the tenets of those beliefs are and how little the ascribers of those religions follow the basic tenets. Because in order to follow those tenets, it requires self-evaluation. It requires the acquisition of knowledge and the discernment of that knowledge. And then applying that to daily life. You follow me? Yeah, Z, I think that this point about applying things to daily life is extremely important because you're right. You meet a lot of people who are smart. And when I say smart, it's conventional measures of smart. Maybe this is the validation that you've talked about or it's just conventional definitions. So you've got the degrees or if it's not degrees, maybe it has something to do with math and science ability. At least uh, when I was growing up, that's often how we said, oh, he's really smart because he can do math problems or physics problems. And there were some people who were very impressive in those realms. Uh, but I think that the reason we identify that with intelligence is it's easy to measure. <laughs> it's easy to give people a math test and rank them one through 100 or 100,000 or whatever and see who ends up on top and say, wow. Yeah, that's the most intelligent person. And in fact, that's how universities work in some areas. In India, the most prestigious engineering schools give the same test to, I don't know if it's hundreds of thousands, maybe even a million applicants, some of whom take off a year just to study for this one test. And you literally get a rank from one to 250,000 or however many people took this test. And based on your rank, you can either get into the school or not. And the higher your rank, the more ability you have to go into a particular campus uh, that you find interesting or a particular discipline of study. So it, not to disregard this form of intelligence. Uh, I think it's useful in a number of contexts. But as you're saying, Z, we have to recognize its limits. Uh, because intelligence has to be broader than your ability to get a degree or to execute a series of algorithms or mental gymnastics based on instructions that someone has given to you. We need to broaden intelligence to encompass how we relate to the world, how we navigate the world, how we make decisions, can we take care of ourselves. And I think that that's what you're getting at. 
So when you talk about the people, the very smart people who are sitting at home burning their furniture and dying because they're choking to death versus someone who isn't panicking, uh, who is just thinking more calmly about what they could be doing, uh, who has some basic knowledge of how the world works, bring in some water, heat that up. You can heat up the house. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And guess what? You're the one who survives. So that makes a lot of sense. And this ability to discriminate, figure out what's real, what's not real, figure out what can serve you, and what's going to hold you back is important. In some ways, Z, it's interesting because the people who are more smart or more highly intelligent by conventional means often have limitations in dealing with the real world. It's that tension. So you gave an example of the situation in Texas, but it's a bigger tension, and I've seen this over and over again. And in some ways, the schooling that you go through, the system of education that puts you on that conventionally smart path does you a disservice because even though you might be very good on that narrow path, you don't necessarily have the ability to step off. So you lose what we talk about a lot. Can you think independently? Can you come to your own conclusions, not within the narrow confines that someone has put in front of you, but can you think more broadly? Uh, Can you think more creatively? Uh, Can you respond to new information? If you're plucked out of your environment and put somewhere else, do you have the ability to apply your knowledge in that new environment? Or are you floundering because no one has ever told you this is exactly what you need to do to survive? Uh, So that ability to think more laterally, to think more generally, uh, to be able to take risk, I think that's another issue that I've seen uh, with conventional measures of intelligence. It penalizes risk-taking because there's such a focus on being right all the time uh, that the ego starts to get in the way. You don't want to make mistakes. You don't want to look foolish. Uh, You've been rewarded your entire life for being right for being, quote-unquote, the smartest person in the room, the one who's always got the answers, who's got their hand up first, uh, who's taking charge of a meeting in a boardroom, whatever the case may be. And because of that, you're not willing to listen to other information, to try out different ways of thinking, to open yourself up to other perspectives. And certainly that can't be intelligence uh, because we live in a complicated world and we live in a world that's constantly changing. Uh, so there there needs to be some amount of flexibility and experimentation to get to, I wouldn't say the best solution, maybe there is no best solution, but get to better and better solutions uh, instead of just routinely doing what you've done in the past. Uh, you mentioned an example earlier when we were talking, which I thought was very interesting. As someone had observed that they don't want their leaders to apologize and it's a sign of weakness if someone apologizes. And you were scratching your head thinking, what the hell does that mean? How can you function if you're never wrong? What does that even do to you mentally if you've got the pressure of always being right? And then why would you want a leader to be in that position? To You end up with someone like our most recent president uh, prior to uh, January who always has to be right, who changes the world and 
the facts to fit a narrative that I am always right. And that's going to blind you. It's going to distort your decision-making. It's going to mess up your health at a personal level. But if you're in a position of leadership, it's going to make it impossible for you to effectively lead. Talk about that for a minute, Z. I want to get into the ego. Uh, so if we think about intelligence as that discrimination ability, the ability to take in new information, to be fluid, to evolve, what happens when the ego gets in the way and what can we do to get beyond that? Well, Vin, <clears throat> I'm going to walk us into this a little bit and, and just kind of share an idea I have. You, you talked about these prestigious schools that they have you know, tens of thousands, hundred thousand people, and then they grade everybody. What a fool you are to be in that line being graded by who? Who are them? Who is this person? Who is this monolith? Who is this this hidden god figure that decides who's okay? That has everyone scrambling for validation. That's not intelligence. The fact that you're in this cesspool of anxiety means you're not that intelligent on the most basic survival level. And let's say you meet the grade and you walk outside of this institution. There's pollution, there's suffering, there's abuse all around you. How intelligent are you really? How smart are you really that you have no real effect on the daily conditions of your fellow human being? So we want to be very careful that we don't have this one, this one idea of what intelligence is. It's many different things. And one of the most beautiful parts of intelligence is to know when you're wrong or to know what you don't know. And you can seek out people you do know who do, who, who do have understanding or they can fill in the gaps that you have. You have social intelligence. As I spoke to you earlier, you have people that are very interested in your product, your projects and the product you're creating, and they admire you. Can you be intelligent enough to cultivate and nurture that relationship so that they can support you in your process. There's a certain kind of intelligence in that, where instead of handing people money, you are offering them affiliation with something they have a passion for that is not measurable in a monetary way, but you can look at it if you had to buy those people what would it cost you as opposed to if you could share with those people your charisma, your ideas, and they found that that benefited them in a great way, you never spent a penny. You see, this is another type of intelligence. I also <clears throat> look at the intelligence that is judged by others that puts you in positions, as I say, I'm fond of watching these aircraft crash movies and looking at the behavior of people. So this is where the ego comes in. So you're this pilot and you have a title and a label. And because you have that title and label, you won't listen to anybody that is under you. So therefore, even if the person is telling you, hey, captain, uh, the wing is falling off. You say, no, I'm the captain and I know better. Thus, the people around you, because they're part of that association or that uh, idea of intelligence, they have no rebuttal to you. They just go along and kowtow, and the next thing you know, uh, many people perish. This happens all the time. People suffer greatly because they want to stay into the, an association, which is the opposite of intelligence. 
you want to stay in a herd or a group of people, uh, the association of smart people or whatever you're a part of, and they're all uh, marching you into a, a pit. But because that, that ego has bound you to that association, that affiliation, that society, you stay with it. That's not intelligent at all. That's not intelligence at all. When I think of intelligence in the people that I've met that are brilliant people, I look over the span of their life. I was spending a few hours today with one of my mentors, Kamasi. He's been on a few times. And I look at this guy who's in his 70s, who could easily pass for what, late 40s something? Uh, Caitlin, Caitlin has a crush on him. And I don't know what his scholarly claims are, but I want to know what he knows that at 70 plus years old, he is so vibrant, so alive, so enthusiastic every day. Well, he's outlived most of his comrades. I've caught up with him in age in a sense, and he's many years, uh, young, a number of years younger, older than me, I should say. <clears throat> I'm younger than him. But every time I look at him, I'm just my God. Every time I'm around him, he's feel, always offering himself, always has something to share with people. Uh, that's the kind of intelligence I admire, right? Um, I also think of uh, another person that I admired in terms of aviation and things like that was this guy named Chuck Yeager. So Chuck Yeager was the first guy to break the sound barrier, right? So the story goes like this. He was surrounded. There were all these eggheads around that had for many years said that there was this theory they come up with the scientific theory. They had the best mathematicians. They probably went to that school in India. You're talking about MIT. They went everywhere. Uh, and they said that, look, if you break the sound barrier, there will be a collapse of an air bubble around you that would destroy any vehicle we can make that could fly that speed, and you would basically disintegrate. Right? So there was all kinds of people who agreed upon that theory. And that theory was backed by many, many scholars who were very smart, very intelligent, had been in the highest rankings in their schools. Well, Chuck Yeager may or may not have had a high school education. He was a self-taught mechanic that could look, just look at things and figure it out. You know, there are people like that. They can see trends. They, they have that type of intelligence. They can watch the trends of nature. They can watch the way birds fly. They can watch the change of seasons and they learn things and they correlate that to other things in life. They have, they have a innate connection to the physics, right? Physics is the, the, the observation of natural phenomena, the study of natural phenomena. Think about what that is. So he innately was a physicist, uneducated in the sense of how we measure intelligence. But he had this connection to nature. So they, he went from being a mechanic, learning how it worked, then he learned how to fly planes. He was scared of heights, believe it or not. The guy was scared of heights. But he overcame his fear of heights through his intelligence. He would read the wind. He would read these things and go, yeah, okay, I'm going to fly. And so they took him up in this prototype plane and they said, well, we want you to go this fast and we want to test some theories out. 
And he just said, light the fuse. And he lit it and he flew the X-1, I believe it was. And he broke the sound barrier. He did it many times. The plane didn't blow up. It didn't collapse. They said, why did you do it? He said, well, I started thinking about what all the smart people were saying. And I said, the only way to really try this is to get in it and go. And if it's built right, flies right, managed right, let's see where it takes us. Let's see. He wasn't a daredevil. He had a sense of things around him. And he moved on and, and he died not too many, a year ago or so like that. And he accomplished many things in his life. To me, that's an intelligent person. I think about different people I know who some had great scholarly claims, some not. But I look over their life, how did they survive? How did they flourish? How is their, how happy are they? How content are they with life? Do they have healthy relationships and friendships? How do they manage the ups and downs of life? How do they navigate their shared humanity? I look at all of those variables. They say, okay, wow, that's interesting. You know, colleges are going through dilemmas where they have people who score really uh, great scores on their SATs and their MCATs and all. They do really good on every all that, but they have no personality. They can't deal with other people. They don't know how to brush their teeth or blow their nose. They don't know how to groom themselves. They have poor personal hygiene. They have no social skills, but they score really high on tests. So they're saying, okay, this is interesting. We want to put these people in these academic institutions and then say we have the smartest people around, but they're almost social embarrassments. Um, they're unhealthy in every other aspect of human interaction. And I was told once by a businessman, he said, I could never take tests. I'm not good at taking tests. I'm not a smart guy. But I know how to get smart people to do things I want them to do. So he hired smart people to work for him. I even heard a story once of the woman who was measured in America. There was a woman who was measured to have one of the highest IQs in America. But she lacked social intelligence to the degree that she ended up basically living her life during math tricks for $30,000 a year. But she couldn't interact with other people. And she supposedly was measured to have the highest IQ, intelligence quotient. So intelligence quotient is an interesting thing. What is your emotional quotient? Right? What is your social quotient? What is your ego quotient? What is your adaptability quotient? See, we, we can look at all of those things, and then if we create the wheel of intelligence, every spoke in that wheel is important. And so each of us has highs and lows on that wheel. We want that wheel to be as true as possible, so it's a well it's, a, it's as close to a circle as possible as opposed to a warped wheel or oblique wheel. Can you read people around you? Are you empathetic? What about the intelligence of empathy? We lack that in the social arena. You have these politicians in the nakedness of their politics 
They are single-mindedly doing one thing and one thing only is to maintain their position at all costs to society. But then you have society as a whole that follow these people. This isn't a sign of intelligence. It's, 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 it's the opposite of intelligent. Look for information, discern the information, apply the information so that it betters your life. Wow. That's definitely not what's going on. How about those people that you walk through a hospital and most of the clinicians are sick? So what information are they discerning, discriminating? What scholarly claim do they hold that on average they die sooner than everyone else? What level of intelligence is that? What is the divorce rate amongst marriage counselors if they're so smart, if they're so intelligent? It's a very high divorce rate, right? What is the rate of dysfunction among therapists and clinicians in their family when they themselves are marriage and family counselors? Where's the hole that? Where's the broken spoke in that wheel? That's the one we want to work on. And as you started me by talking about the ego, the ego will often do that trick to us and reinforce itself. So it makes it hard to look at yourself. Say, hey, you know what? I'm a marriage counselor. My marriage is falling apart. If you have sway over the ego, you will back away and you will apply the knowledge you've learned to your own life. If you don't have sway over the ego, you will try to direct at another person your failings. And you will read into the script of your scholarly endeavors a way to excuse your behavior. How about if you're the mentor, you're supposed to be the wise guru of other people, the light bearer. The word guru means light bearer. So you fashion yourself as the all-knowing guru. But you don't share yourself with others. You're not open-hearted because you want to protect yourself from vulnerability and assault or even critique. And I am fortunate to have had many different personalities of teachers, mentors, guides, that one of the common features is the transparency. They always said, I will try to be the best example I can. And if I fail at that, I'm going to let you know what my intention is for you to go further than I. It's a beautiful thing. Unattached to their own grandiosity, so to say, and more attached to the process and work. Intelligence, again, is something that we endlessly pursue. And a feature of that intelligence, again, is to understand the pull of the ego, the ability to be naked in your own soul as you look at the world. I listen to people when they talk sometime, and, and, and I know people that have secrets. They'll say, can I tell you a secret? 
can I discuss something with you in complete privacy? And I said, yeah, okay, because why do you think you're that interested that you need a top secret security clearance for us to hold a conversation? That's the ego just run amok. And it actually chokes intelligence. So you're, you want information from me. You want to share something with me. But you've already filtered it through the idea that you're far more important and that you have all these secrets that if revealed will, will lessen your life. Bizarre. This is not intelligence. This is the opposite of that. One of the things we say here at the Health Institute, here at Dharma Health Institute, and on Dharmita, what we say is, the number one disease of humanity is ignorance, thus the greatest cure is knowledge. Seek knowledge. Seek it with all that you have. Knowledge, intelligence will resolve most problems you have in life. But in the resolution of those problems, you will have to face the ego and wrestle it into submission. So that because knowledge is indifferent, it's dispassionate, it is often, more often than not, it is bitter, right? It is the bitter fruit that heals you, but it's always good for you. When you're intelligent, you're not worried about a lot of secrets. That doesn't mean that you don't have discretion. Not everybody needs to know everything. But when it comes to yourself, be open and transparent with your own self. And when you find people in a common social group or common a common shared association, the society of you, set the standards that are appropriate for that group, that society, that household, that group of friends, that group of associates. Don't go outside of that and try to be someone else. That's not intelligent. Appreciate their affiliations and associations, but don't let them dictate to you. Someone told me the other day that friends of theirs were jealous that their kid got into a particular kindergarten. Think about how that sounds. Right away, you just got off the intelligent bus and you just got on the short bus, okay? Think about that. My associates are jealous of me because my kid got into a prestigious kindergarten. Do you know what kindergarten means? Children's garden. Have you ever seen children playing in a garden? What would make you jealous of that? Right away, you could scratch off intelligence. Right away, scratch that off. Basically, if you're jealous of anything, you're not real intelligent. Whatever it is, the nature of jealousy requires a high portion of ignorance. The very nature of jealousy. Um, so when we talk about intelligence, we're thinking about it in terms of how the Buddha speaks of intelligence. The ability to discern and discriminate. 
And one of the no ways you know you're on the right track of intelligence is you're not comparing yourself to other people. You don't care that other people's kids got into a better kindergarten. What the hell does that mean? Or that your child got into the best college. What does that mean? What's the best college based on who? Who is the, please guide me to the who sets the standard. Vin, can you tell me who sets the standard for the best college, the best restaurant, the best kindergarten? See, this is the opposite of intelligence. If you find yourself in these types of dilemmas, step away and get into your Buddha consciousness. You follow me, Vin? Yeah, it's funny hearing you talk about this and who sets the standard. <laughs> You've got institutions who do this. You've got the U.S. News and World Report, which ranks the colleges. You've got the Michelin Guide or Zagat's or whoever who ranks restaurants. And then, then you got this whole system set up where the colleges are going to change their curriculum so they can rank higher based on the algorithm. <laughs> so, and of course, uh, yeah. Well, this to me is the saddest thing. I mean, this is why sometimes I look at my life and. I don't feel bad about it in that uh, I'm incredibly fortunate. I've evolved quite a bit. Sometimes he, I look, though, and I just think what could have been because I've limited myself in so many ways, and a lot of it has been a lack of intelligence. And what I mean by that is exactly what you're saying. You've got these standards for how you're supposed to live, what defines success? Are you in the apartment that costs three million dollars or five million dollars? Do you have <laughs> Do you have a second home in the nice part of town that's very close to the beach or slightly farther away? And these are just all such meaningless distinctions. So number one, you're getting worked up about nothing, which is your kindergarten example. But the more distressing part of this is that you lose the opportunity to really do something great, to step off this treadmill and find something interesting to apply yourself to words, to stand out in a way that other people haven't. You think about life, we're all here, we're all unique for a period of time. No one like you is ever going to exist again. No one like you has existed in the past. Everyone is completely unique. So take those capabilities and do something unique. Do something that's the best expression of yourself, uh, the thing that plays to your strengths. And that's where building your own standards comes in. It's what can I do that's going to give me personal satisfaction, that's going to allow me to achieve success in a way that resonates whether it's reaching people, whether it's just doing what I do for the sake of doing it. But when we're so limited and focused on standards that someone else has put in front of us, it's like a horse wearing blinders. You don't even see the bigger picture. You can't imagine any other possibilities. And I think I'm getting traumatized talking about this because I think about 
the first 35 years of my life, it's almost like I didn't even know other options existed. That everything in my life up till that point had been a foregone conclusion. Uh, that I had to be in business. I had to follow a certain path. I tried to step off it briefly. It didn't work out the way I wanted, so I jumped back on. But something just didn't feel right. And finally, I got to a point where my perspective broadened, and that's when I started to change some of these standards and do more of the independent thinking that we're talking about. But it's you're right. It's complete lunacy. It's just stuff that people buy into. And I guess you get validation in exchange. You get maybe some sense of safety, some stability. But then what is that? You just said the horse with blinders. I got this picture. You know the term ignorance to ignore willfully turn away from light. That is the opposite of intelligence. And while you're talking about this, I'm picturing people walking around with blinders on so that they can't see. They willfully every day get up and put these blinders on and it makes you ignorant. It makes you ignorant. You understand? Because look at the people that have moved the world forward. When we think of the technology uh, there's the guy in South Africa that did all the heart transplants in South Africa. He was a, a, a basically a scrub nurse who studied human bodies and figured out how to do heart transplants. He figured out heart transplants, but because he lived in an apartheid state, they would erase his photo from the pictures of the successful surgeries, and only recently have they re-included his photograph in all the successful heart surgeries. It was just a regular dude who cared about human beings and wanted to give people a little more day, a few more days to live as an interest, as a passion, as a hobby. Think about that. And it was never about, did I get accepted to this or did I get accepted to that so other people can say I'm part of these associations, affiliations or whatever. If you go to MIT, just go because you want to go. Not because it's this or that. Is there a professor there who is interesting? I went to uh, college and I had a professor I had met in high school who was a metallurgist who built uh, old cars and he was a Tuskegee Airman and he inspired me and I wanted to be around him. I could care less about someone's associating me with prestige, blah, blah, blah. And when I hear people talking that way, like when the guy's talking about, uh, my child was accepted into one of the better kindergartens. I could say you could already see the therapy bill that child's going to have throughout their life. You could already feel the loneliness that child's going to have. You could already see the suicide note that child's going to write because you're just stealing the soul of another human being. How intelligent is that? As you said, in our, in our minorness, in our uninteresting cells, we are unique. One in a billion, if you want to look at it that way. But can you distinguish yourself by knowing yourself, by claiming yourself? Or do you walk around with blinders, walking on eggs, crossing thin ice, hoping someone will bring you into their association? Do you walk around with your curriculum vitae with you to announce to whoever cares to listen how great you've done. 
in life, how well-mannered you are, how well-domesticated you are, how you've made all the right decisions to be affiliated. So Einstein was appalled at this behavior. When Einstein came to the United States, he was appalled at this. He said, this is the opposite of intelligence. Einstein, okay? He was kicked out of school. He wasn't accepted into the best circles, right? So it just fires me up when you say that because I feel the difficulty and, and I'm thankful that whatever screw was loose in me that I could give a, a rat's ass about associations, affiliations, and I have my own academic accomplishments and things like that, but, but I, it, it never defined me. It, I, I pursued things because I was interested. I pursued various degrees to placate my family and do whatever thing, but even inside of that, I always pursued things with a passion. Um, I've learned that one of the greatest intelligence you can have is be able to listen to people, to understand them, to work with them, to pull the best out of them, to share with them. Um, and everywhere I go, I find friends. I find comfort. I find like-minded people. I never walk through this life afraid, fearful. I never walk through this life wanting to be validated by somebody from some association, society, or affiliation. Thus, I have many friends. The Vedas said that is a great virtue of a person to have many friends. Now, I don't have many friends because I'm a friendly person, as you know. I have many friends because I benefit the lives of the people that I encounter and they benefit me. That mutual benefit. You follow, Vin? There's an intelligence in that. There's a visceral intelligence. There's an intelligence of passion. There's an intelligence of compassion. There's, a, there's an intelligence in understanding and listening. How intelligent are you in your ability to listen, to feel, to read the situation, to read the, the look on a person's face, to hear the change in their voice? Are you that intelligent? Can you hear the baby in the background in need while you're tending to the elderly? Are you that kind of intelligent? Or do you have to be made alert and shaken and yelled at and say, hey, wake up, wake up? Are you awake? Are you in the light or do you have blinders on? Can you hear the needs of your friends? Can you, need, can you hear the voice of those that are near you or, or benefit from your nearness to them? Or are you just completely clueless looking for your card of association and affiliation to look to see if you're a member of the right society? That's not intelligence. Z, I want to recap here for a second because we've covered a lot of ground. This is a, a very rich topic, intelligence, and the attributes that we've talked about, we've talked about the ability to discriminate, to figure out what's true and what's not true, the ability to acquire and apply knowledge. There's a certain amount of fluidity, which is 
involved in intelligence, a certain amount of creative thinking. I would put presence in there as well. So can you be attuned to what is happening right now and respond accordingly instead of living life in your head or living by someone else's set of standards? Are you able to see what is actually happening? So these are all features of intelligence. There's another one that you mentioned, being able to relate to people on multiple levels, and maybe that has to do with fluidity. So depending on who we're interacting with and the context of the situation, we're going to adjust, uh, recognizing that people are different, they process information differently. So we take that as our definition of intelligence. And then we think about some of the impediments to intelligence. Uh, We've talked about the ego coming in the way. And if we feel like we have to prove ourselves, we have to be right, we can't lose status. That's a big impediment to intelligence because we're not going to be willing to acquire knowledge or try out new things. Uh, We also talked about the tendency people have to adopt standards that other people use, and that touches on validation. So if we always need other people to like us, then we can get involved in whatever crazy shit is happening, which clearly is not intelligent, but we do that uh, because someone else is going to pat us on the back uh, or we'll feel safe because we're part of the crowd. And those are the blinders that you and I just talked about. So if we build on that a little bit, let's help people think in other practical ways about how to cultivate intelligence. Uh, In addition to the general things like setting the ego aside, like dropping the need for validation, what are some exercises that you would recommend to build that ability to discriminate? Well, always um, literacy is very important to intelligence. Uh, Not only in the sense of reading books, but also to listen, being able, having that oral, that ability to listen in a storybook fashion or in an academic fashion, just listening and going, hmm, this is a, this is a, this is a, a, a useful tale, uh, sharing experiences with people, just listening. So the intelligence of listening and gathering information. Listen, smell, see, read. Just read. Think about people you meet that don't read. They're really hard to deal with. People that are just savages, feral. All they hear is things through anecdote, rumor. Somebody said something to somebody about this and I take that as fact. Just living on rumor and propaganda. No discrimination at all. Then they say, well, I trust this person's, where, where, this person's a dullard, they have no knowledge, and just because you're affiliated with them, you, 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 you've limited your ability to communicate or understand. So I would say one of the things we can do is just read, you know, have your book list. Have, uh, I, I have different books on philosophy, different periodicals. Uh, I, I read novels, I read journals, scientific journals or stories. I like to keep up with current events, psychological breakthroughs and uh, mental brain mapping books, things like this. 
Whatever you like to be up, just read. That doesn't mean that everything you read, you take as fact and truth. Remember that. Discern this information. Sort it out and go, hmm. Develop a skill or a trade that, that requires the visceral loop. Tactile interaction so that you can learn something, right? You can get feedback. You developing a physical skill, a mental skill. You develop some sort of new acuity. These are things we can do. Also, shine a light on your ignorance. Pull the blinders off and look at what the ego has done to you, how it's molested you so much that you didn't even pursue dreams. I'm not saying that you need to be like Chuck Yeager, but let Chuck Yeager be a role model. Sometimes you just got to get on it and light the fuse. I was talking about someone today that had an issue with the minimum wage laws and they felt that there should never be, uh, they should never raise the minimum wage. He said, because it forces small businesses, it puts an undue burden. And I said, that's an interesting theory, but I'm going to go like Chuck Yeager says, and let's light it. Hey, why not experiment and try it? If it's a failed thing, then we don't do it. If it works, we do it. That's the only way to really test it out. You want to sit there and argue theories. You don't want a bunch of eggheads in a room arguing a theory. Let's try it out. But in order to do that, you have to be willing to fail. The willingness to fail and then the willingness to say, hey, I was wrong. That's a sign of intelligence. I've learned something from this failure. If you're afraid to fail, then that's a sign that you're not intelligent. A great runner, I knew these great runners. There was a, a guy named Michael Johnson, who at one point held the world's record for the 400 and the 200 meter. And there was another runner who was a high school phenom who never became great by the name of Obi Moore. In this story, there's a story about him. In Obi Moore's case, as a young child, he was a phenomenal runner. And he was set to be an Olympic champion, even in high school. And the people around him coached him and pushed him. He won every race. He had won maybe a few hundred races, if not a thousand races in his lifetime. And at a very young age, he went to the Olympic trials. And it was like putting vegetables in a blender. The experienced athletes destroyed him. He didn't rank high enough to participate in the Olympics at a very young age, and it broke his spirit, and he literally disappeared from competition. I ran into Obi Moore walking down the street one day, and he, it took him years to pull his life back together. He walked right past Dharma Institute one day, and I said, hey, are you Obi Moore? He said, yeah, I'm Obi. I said, you look great, man. I followed your career. And he said something very beautiful. He said, yeah. I've moved on, but it took me a while. I won a lot of races, but I never learned to lose. And because I never learned to lose when I lost, it destroyed me. It ended my career. I said, wow. On the other hand, Michael Johnson, who won many races over a decade, said that what made him a champion, and I heard this from another great Olympian, is why I lost a few races. And at the end of the race, I felt I could have done more. So I explored that. And I found new ways to extract 
talent from myself. And I went further than anyone else in the world went because I knew how to lose. I benefit from losing. Losing made me a great winner. Winning didn't make me a great winner. Losing made you great. So you have this thing that we can do. We can learn to acknowledge our failings, our shortcomings, the voids. We, we learn to turn to other people and ask, how can I have done better? I do that in my classes all the time, right? Because we always ask, is there something you can share with us that makes this a better learning experience? You don't have to take everything and, and adjust to every whim that people say, because some of the stuff I don't listen to. I listen to it, but I don't necessarily alter myself. But some things I do listen to. We've been doing a thing in some of the courses during the pandemic that are online, and we learn to pause and hold for a while so that whatever information we're sharing gets to soak in, then we move on. And I've always learned from my great teachers at the end of the session, say, is there something you I can offer you, share with you that would make your learning experience more fulfilling? We do that all the time. And again, you don't jump and switch for everybody. That You're not trying to please people. You're not trying to entertain the whim of the moment. You're trying to offer them a uplifting service that sometimes what they want isn't what they need. So some of it, again, simple, read more, listen more, learn to value your losing when you lost, when you were wrong, and go, hmm, I want to be like Michael Johnson. I want to be the better than the best. And in order to do that, I have to accept that I'm worse than I could be. I'm not at my best right now. Or that I made a mistake. I jumped the gun. And then go, hmm, let me make some corrections. Mark that on my personal calendar, and I'm going to ritualize self-improvement by understanding that I'm not the greatest. Don't seek validation, or you'll be jumping all over the place. Accept that not everyone will approve of you. And in your journey in an intelligent way, like the Buddha has laid out for us, there are times when that journey is barren, empty, and cold. Sometimes it's too hot. Sometimes it's too cold. Sometimes, oftentimes, it will be uncomfortable. But it's always good for you. And I think those are ways. I mean, can you think of some other ways? I'm going to build on what you said, because I think this fear of failure is extremely important. That's been something that's really held me back in my life. And maybe for a lot of the same reasons. Academically, I always did very well. And I was used to that. And then I started defining myself by that. And I had to keep up that track record. So it becomes a very limiting mindset. I was literally afraid to do poorly because the whole way that I saw myself, my entire identity, was predicated on continued success. And the way I defined success was un uninterrupted wins or an uninterrupted stretch of being right, which if you're doing it, 
is ridiculous because by definition it means that you're not pushing the limits. You're not stretching the boundaries of your capability. And then when it came time for me to finally try something new, which I did professionally, it didn't work out. And it was a very damaging experience. Uh, I think ultimately it made me stronger. So I was able to take stock and, and recover from that. But that still sticks with me, the fear of failure and probably the reason that I'm most skeptical about the education system we have in place today because it's very linear, it's anxiety-provoking. Again, not all of it is bad. I think there are good aspects to it as well. Uh, But for certain kids, if you start defining yourself by test grades and by colleges, you become an anxious mess, and you never find a path that works for you. And you're so afraid of failure that you're afraid to try you consign yourself to mediocrity uh, because you're not willing to to step out of your uh, comfort area. So that fear of failure, Z, I think is key. Uh, one of the interesting things about that, that's actually a lack of intelligence. I mean, if you think about where that fear of failure comes from, who cares if you fail? Uh, who cares whether you do well, you don't do well, you try something, it doesn't work out? Where does that whole idea come from? That's a false idea. But you need a certain amount of intelligence to even be able to see that, uh, that your self-worth has nothing to do with whether you're always right or not always right. Other people, who cares what they think? Even if you do care what they think, they're probably not going to care about you because you're irrelevant. You're only relevant to yourself most of the time. No one else gives a shit about what you're doing. So the whole idea that you've got all these eyes on you is a false idea. Uh, So that fear of failure reflects a lack of critical thinking. Um, So I don't know if I have anything to add. I mean, I I do like your points about reading, about listening. Uh, Another related point to the fear of failure, fear of criticism, that's something that we've talked about. That's also something that's extremely limiting. And again, why? Who cares whether someone says you could be doing better or not? How else are we supposed to evolve unless someone tells us something we don't know? If we already know everything, <laughs> then there's nothing left to do. <laughs> then it's like, what, what are we on this planet for? We might as well die. We're here because we're evolving. We're trying new things. We're increasing our capabilities, our impact, and so forth. Uh, but again, that takes some perspective and some ability to define your own measures of success. Aside from the small metrics that conventional society is going to put in front of you. So, yeah, I would just reiterate that list, Z. Uh, I think getting rid of the need for validation is important. Setting the ego aside is important. Having that willingness to learn and seek knowledge at all costs and not tying your identity to outcomes, uh, but instead look at life, maybe from a lighter standpoint, a more fluid standpoint, it's a journey. It's a set of challenges. Have fun with it. Experiment. See what happens. And in that, you discover a lot about yourself. Uh, you find your way. You create opportunities. That mindset opens a door to intelligence. And I would add to that, Vin, in, in closing, <clears throat> intelligence requires experimentation. Intelligence requires a bit of tolerance. A sign of intelligence is acceptance. A sign of intelligence is humility. 
a sign of intelligence is in, a, in an interesting way staying true to yourself as that truth evolves. The truth of self is evolving. That's another sign. Intelligence is the critique of the narratives that you establish. When we talk about success, and we've talked about this before, there's a lot of very intelligent people that wouldn't necessarily meet one metric or another metric of what is success. I'll share with you, you know, from my heart right now, during this year, this pandemic year, we, we've gone through really challenging times as a business. Very challenging. And I have to say that <clears throat> it is the goodwill of the people I've surrounded myself with that have allowed me to survive as a business and the love, the support, the common view that these people share have allowed us to grow. <clears throat> so an outsider would see, not seeing everything that goes on, and say, oh, you're successful. You're very successful. All the businesses around you are closing and you're here and people show up every day and we put on classes every day and we see clients every day. What a success you are. No, no. I could possibly call an intelligent person because everybody here I've listened to, I've supported, I've paid it forward every way I possibly can. I've been open-hearted. We have so much. So I define success in this way. And I would ask each person to be open-hearted and define with themselves and be define success in your own way. Caitlin's parents came here a month back or so, right, Caitlin? Mm -hmm. And they said something to me that that I said made me glow like a rich man. They said, we were worried about our daughter and when we saw her friends and we saw you and all the things you guys do, we no longer feared for her well-being. That she had made good decisions and she was around loving people. That is successful. When I listened to the work you've been doing in your spoken word project, and I said and I played it for friends who didn't know you, they says, wow, this kid is good. Who is this guy? I said, I am successful. When I look at Pretty Tony hold an audience for an hour teaching Tai Chi in his awkwardness, in his millennialness, and people, I look at the students who have become better practitioners under his tutelage, I am successful. When I see my friends of 40, 50 years are now friends of the Caitlin and her generation, I am successful in bringing people together. I have used my intelligence to manipulate my world in a way that benefits me, that gives me a greater sense of self. That's my idea of intelligence that led to a success. It's a fluid thing. 
I would like each person to define their own success, which begins to open up intelligence. It is the gateway to the Buddha consciousness. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Each five-star review helps us bring you more unique and insightful content. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. Peace.